When Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment in all the law and prophets was, uh, he gave a twofold answer. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This one great commandment has two axes, if you will. Love the Lord your God with all that you are. There's the vertical axis. And love your neighbor as yourself. There's the horizontal axis. Love God and love people. Because if we love God rightly, we will love our neighbor. And a failure to love our neighbor is actually a failure to love God. 1 John 4 verse 20 says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So love God and love people. You can't have one without the other. To fail in one is to fail in the other. Love God and love neighbor. These two axes form such a deep, integrated connection that they are actually one whole. They are one cloth so that Jesus can sum them up as the one greatest commandment. This then is what God desires, deserves, and demands, that we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that we love our neighbor as ourselves. This sums up the law and the prophets. And one of those prophets was a guy by the name of Malachi, whose book we are studying. And thus far, we've seen how Malachi was calling out God's people for their failure to love God. Instead of bringing their first and best to him in terms of their sacrifices and worship, they've been giving God their leftovers. They've been bringing animals for sacrifice that are maimed and sick and decrepit. And the priests, to make it worse, have been telling everybody, oh, it's fine. You know, that animal, that's good enough for God. It's just going to burn anyway. And Malachi uh, conveys the heart of God here and says, look, if you keep polluting God's offerings, if you keep corrupting the priesthood, then you're, you're going to lose the temple. You're going to lose the priesthood. God's going to come and shut it all down unless you return to him. So, so far the book has largely been about the vertical access of people's failure to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. But you have, we have to remember that when we fail to love God with all our heart, heart, soul, mind, and strength, when we fail to love Him rightly, invariably, inevitably, we fail to love our neighbor rightly as well. And today, Malachi is going to turn his attention to the horizontal axis uh, because they failed to love one another as well. And here in this third dispute of six disputes in the book of Malachi, as God and the people argue back and forth, uh, Malachi's focus turns uh, to the men in particular who have failed to be faithful to their wives. They've been faithless toward God, and they've been faithless toward their 
wives. So let's listen in as God speaks his tough love to call the people back to his tender mercies. Malachi chapter 2, verses 10 to 16, that's our passage today. You'll find today's reading begins on page 801 and wraps around to 802 in the Pew Bible. So if you want to pull that out and join us on page 801 to 802, uh, that would be great. I'm going to begin reading here in verse 10. If you'll listen, this is the word of the Lord. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit, and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Thanks be to the Lord for the reading of his word. In this passage, we see their faithless betrayal, which is arising from fragmented hearts, along with God's call to return to full devotion, all right? So we're going to use that as our outline. Faithless betrayal, fragmented hearts, and full devotion, all right? Would you bow your heads? Let's pray, and we'll jump in. Father, what you desire, deserve, and demand is our wholehearted affections our wholehearted devotion, our wholehearted worship. Father, we lead lives that are massively fragmented, and we need you to make us whole. And so teach us what it means to follow Jesus, to walk according to your spirit, and become the whole people we were meant to be. We love you. We give ourselves to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. So first of all, faithless betrayal, faithless betrayal. Verse 10 begins with, have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Malachi begins by reminding his people of their family bonds with one another. Have we not all one Father? Have we, has not one God created 
us. Now, at first blush, we might think that Malachi is referring back to Genesis 1 and 2 and the dawn of creation. And we might assume that he's reminding the people of their common humanity as fellow image bearers before God. And while that is certainly true, the very next phrase here doesn't fit with that assumption. This last phrase, why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? So Malachi is particularly addressing here the children of Israel, the sons and daughters of the covenant-keeping God. And as children of the covenant, God was said to be Israel's father. So, for example, the Israelites are called the sons and daughters of God in Deuteronomy 32, verse 19. In Hosea 11, verse 1, God says, out of Egypt I called my son. So, when God established the covenant with Abram, he created created a new people for himself where he would be their father and they would be his sons and daughters. So while it is true that all of humanity is indeed created by God and bears his image, the emphasis here is on the covenant people of God who are sharing covenant family bonds with one another. And God is saying, look, you're, you're family, you're my family, I'm your father, you're my sons and daughters. I created you as my people when I entered into covenant with you, so why aren't you treating each other like family? Why are you being faithless with one another? Why are you disloyal? Why are you betraying each other? Why are you committing treachery? within the family of God? Why are you profaning the covenant like this? You're despoiling the covenant, polluting it. You're corrupting it. And they say, how? How are we doing this, God? Verse 11, Judah has been faithless and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Notice how the regions are zeroing in on the very heart of, of the people, right, from, from uh, Judah to Israel to Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he, that would be God, which God loves. Now just pause for a moment before we finish that sentence. How would you expect this to end? You've profaned the sanctuary, right? They've been offering all kinds of bad worship. You're assuming, I would assume, that this is about worship still, right? But that's not what he says. Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which God loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign God. Interesting. So just as the Israelites were called the sons and daughters of Yahweh, those who worshiped false gods were called the sons and daughters of those deities. So for example, in Numbers 21, 29, we read that the Moabites were called the sons and daughters of Chemosh, which was the false god that they worshiped. So here you have the sons of Yahweh who are marrying the foreign gods, the daughters of foreign gods. That's what's going on. The sons of Yahweh are marrying foreign, the daughters of foreign gods, which, is, which was of course strictly forbidden under the law uh, in places like Deuteronomy 7, verses 3 and 4, uh, unless the foreigner was actually becoming a worshiper of Yahweh. 
In, like Ruth, for example. Ruth became a worshiper of Yahweh, so that was, that was okay. This really isn't about ethnicity, it's about theology. God commanded the children of Israel to marry within the covenant in order that they might worship the one true God as a couple, as a family, and with whatever children may be born. We can see God's purpose for this down in verse 15 when he says, what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. Remember, through the family of Israel will come one day Messiah. And through him, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. And so it is imperative for God's unfolding plan of redemption that the children of Israel pass along their faith from one generation to the next without dilution, without compromise. And for that reason, the sons and daughters of Yahweh are to marry only within the covenant people of God. And those in Malachi's day don't have to think back very far uh, to Solomon and the great case study disaster of why obedience in this area is so needful. King Solomon, you'll remember, married tons of foreign wives and it drew his heart away from the Lord. So he ended up building temples and shrines so his wives could worship all their foreign deities and the nation became contaminated with the worship of idolatry. Which is why when the people of Israel are coming back now from the exile in Babylon, uh, this becomes a major issue. Ezra and Nehemiah called the people only to marry within the covenant people of God. In 454 BC, Ezra discovered that many of the people, especially the priests and Levites, had married foreign women outside the covenant. You can read about this in Ezra chapter 9, verse 2. He was appalled. He would confess the sins of the people, and they wept bitterly and pledged that they would change. That's in Ezra chapter 10. About a decade later, Nehemiah comes back to the people and discovers they're marrying women outside the covenant again. And you can read about that in Nehemiah 13. And so now Malachi, just a handful of years after Nehemiah, Malachi is calling out the people for doing the same thing all over again. They're welcoming pagan worship into the covenant community. They're offering sacrifices in the temple for their families at the very same time that their wives are offering worship to the false gods of the neighboring nations. They're failing to honor God in the temple and they're failing to honor God in their households. You see that. But it gets worse, it gets worse. Jump down to 14b, the second half. The Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Skip down to 16. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not be faithless. So this passage reads like a funnel. Okay? It starts out really wide. You've been faithless within the family of God. What does that mean? You're marrying women 
who are, are, are worshiping false gods. What, and furthermore, what's worse is you're divorcing the wife of your youth so you can marry a bride outside the covenant. You see, it's, get, it's narrowing down. This is one, one big cluster of sin and it's funneling down. Here's the scenario that Malachi has in mind. You have middle-aged Israelite men who have grown tired of their aging wives and are swapping them out for young, exotic, and idolatrous women. That's what's going on. And Malachi says, faithless, you're profaning. It's an abomination, it's treachery. You're doing violence because they're breaking faith with their wives and with God. They're breaking faith with their wives and with God. Not only are they abandoning the covenant with their wife as they divorced and remarried, they're abandoning the covenant with God as they welcome idolatry into their homes. They're trashing their own covenants of marriage and they're trashing the covenant with God himself. But their problem runs even deeper than their faithless betrayal here. It's all arising from their fragmented hearts, their fragmented hearts. It would be one thing if they just walked out on God and said, I'm done with you, just openly owned their rebellion. But they're still pretending everything's okay. They're still coming into worship every week, every month, like this is no big deal. Look at this, verse 11. Judah has been faithless. An abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem, for Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves. He's married a daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off the tents of Jacob, any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. So here they are living in flat-out disobedience to God, they're divorcing their wives, they're embracing idolatry, and then they, they, they have the audacity to waltz into the temple sanctuary with an offering like everything's okay. It would, it would be like me spitting in my wife's face and then five minutes later showing up with flowers. She's like, you think that makes it okay? You think that just makes everything fine? No. And the term here for offering is specifically referring to the offering of first fruits, which was both an offering of thanksgiving and dedication to the Lord. The first fruits offering was when you came and said, God, I thank you for all the good gifts you've given me, and I dedicate all that I have and all that I am to you. And God says, I've had enough of this duplicity. You come to dedicate yourself unreservedly to me in worship while at the same time welcoming idol worship into your homes. Your soul is conflicted. Your loyalties are divided. Your heart is fragmented. And I want your whole heart, not just a piece of it. And not only is your heart fragmented before me, says the Lord, it's fragmented at home too. Because whatever piece of your heart still belongs to me is something you can't share with your unbelieving spouse. Your faith in me, your covenant love 
in my covenant love, in my sacrificial grace, in my faithful promises, all these things that are supposed to be the deepest part of who you are at the core of your being, you can't actually share that with your unbelieving wife. And she wants your whole heart, not just a piece of it. Don't, don't you see? God's saying, look, you're not wholly mine, and you're not wholly hers either, because you're not whole yourself. You're not whole. Your heart is torn. It's divided. It's disintegrated. It's fragmented. See, even in the New Testament, God commands his people not to pursue marriage with unbelievers. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14, Paul says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. It's a picture of like a pair of oxen harnessed together. And the point is, in marriage, you and your spouse need to be pulling in the same spiritual direction. If you're plowing toward God and your spouse is plowing in, the, in another direction, it's going to be rough going for you. And not just for you, but for any of the children that you might have. No, friends, God's design is that you would be able to share your whole heart with your spouse in marriage and bring your whole heart in worship before God. He's after your wholeness, you see. But the hearts of these Israelite men were not whole. They were fragmented, not just because of their marriage to idol worshipers, but because of the divorces where they abandoned their wives in the first place. Verse 13, and this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, and because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Now, the Hebrew here in verse 13 is a bit vague, but basically what God is saying is, I'm not accepting your offerings with all those tears and weeping and groaning that you've heaped up on the altar. But the question is, whose tears are they? Whose weeping is this? And in the context, it doesn't make sense for these to be tears of repentance from these faithless men because there's no hint of repentance in the passage. And furthermore, this is a charge that God is bringing against them. This second thing you do. So whatever they're doing, it's not good. Many commentators believe that the tears here are the brokenhearted tears of the wives they've betrayed. These men have heaped up onto the altar of the Lord the tears, the weeping, and the groaning of their ex-wives. And God is saying, I can't accept your offering or grant you favor because all I can see on the altar are the tears, the weeping, and the groaning of the wife that you faithlessly betrayed. You married her before me and all those witnesses she was the wife of your youth, the joy of your heart, your companion through thick and thin. She was your wife by covenant. You promised to love and to cherish, to have and to hold. 
in sickness and in health, and forsaking all others to be faithful to her until death do you part. And then you threw it all away. You betrayed and discarded her. How dare you treat your wife like that and then come into my holy presence like everything's okay. Your sins are shouting louder than your sacrifice. Because friends, our spiritual lives cannot be compartmentalized. Our spiritual lives cannot be compartmentalized. No, God insists on our integrity, on our wholeness. No duplicity, no hypocrisy, no fragmentation. This is why in 1 Peter 3, verse 7, Christian husbands are called to honor and respect their wives as joint heirs of God's covenant grace in order that, quote, your prayers may not be hindered. Friends, husbands, do you realize God will not answer our prayers, husbands, with favor if we are not treating our wives with honor? What father worth his salt would grant the requests of the one who's mistreating his daughter? If we say we love God and hate our brother, we're liars. Which is why Jesus says in Matthew 5, verses 23 to 24, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Friends, we cannot give our whole heart to God while our relationships lie in fragments. We cannot give our whole heart to God while our relationships lie in fragments. We can't compartmentalize and pretend everything's okay. We can't put on a holy demeanor and pull the wool over God's eyes. It doesn't work. Friends, we cannot beat our kids and walk into worship like everything's okay. We cannot betray our spouses and come in and partake of the body and blood of Christ, the symbols that represent Him in communion. We cannot hate our neighbor and then come in and confess our love for God. We cannot lust online and then come in and sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We cannot exploit the poor Monday through Friday and then sing blessed assurance on Sunday. All of life is under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. There is nothing outside His domain, and He wants our whole heart, not just a piece of it. He desires, deserves, and demands our full devotion, our full devotion. We've seen faithless betrayal, fragmented hearts, and now full 
devotion. Can't you see, friends, how through all of this, Malachi is calling them back to wholeheartedness, both with their wives and with God. Verse 10, have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Isn't God our Father? Aren't we family? Don't we have loyalty to one another? Aren't we called to be different, to be faithless with one another? Did not the one God create us as his covenant people? Did not the one God unite us as one in marriage when you covenanted with your wife? Verse 14b, the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit. Let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. God's saying, look, I was there. I bore witness I was there when you covenanted with the wife of your youth, your companion, your covenant bride. I was there and I was wedding you together in one flesh union by the presiding of my spirit. And now as one father and one God, one spirit, I have united you as one flesh in order that with one heart and one mind and one accord, you might raise godly offspring to worship the one true God with one voice and one testimony of one faith in the coming one, the Messiah, the one in whom all the nations will be blessed. But you, you threw it all away because you deserve to be happy. Verse 16, for the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not be faithless. Friends, all these unbiblical divorces that are happening in this chapter That is, they don't meet the biblical grounds for divorce of adultery, abuse, or abandonment. These unbiblical divorces are hateful and violent grievances against these women and against our Heavenly Father. And despite all of their religious pretending, they love neither God nor their neighbors. And Malachi ends by repeating an admonition that he gave up in verse 15. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Guard yourselves in your spirit. Guard yourselves against fragmentation. Guard yourselves against duplicity. Guard yourselves against disintegration. Guard the wholeness of your spirit. Guard the oneness of your devotion. Guard the unity of your soul. Guard the earnestness of your worship. Guard the affections of your heart. Guard the integrity of your promises. The one God, the one Father with one spirit is calling you and me to guard the oneness of our spirit, for God deserves nothing less than our full devotion. 
Don't you see, right here at the end, God is calling us to wholehearted covenant love. Wholehearted covenant love. It's an invitation, a command, a rebuke to every wayward heart, to every faithless son or daughter, to every fragmented soul. God is saying, come back to me. Return to me. Repent from your sin. Return to my heart. Throw yourself on my mercies. Return to me. Because, friends, there's nothing God loves more than to take all the broken fragments of our lives and start making us whole again. So that we can begin to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbors as ourselves. But there's a catch. There's a catch. To be whole, we must give him our whole selves. Our whole selves. Because we will never be whole until we are wholly his. We will never be whole until we are wholly his. It will not do to give God only a part of yourself. Fragmentation, compartmentalization, duplicity, these are the death traps of the soul. And like the proverbial Humpty Dumpty who sat on the wall, we cannot live long in pieces. Our souls long to be made whole, and only God can put us back together again. Friends, do you realize that God sent His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the godly offspring that all this covenant was anticipating, that He sent His Son to come and be our Savior, who perfectly loved the Lord his God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He perfectly loved his neighbor as himself. He was faithful in all his doings. He kept every single one of his promise. He was loyal to all of his covenants. He was perfectly whole in every way. You see, he guarded his spirit with integrity. But then he went to the cross, and he died the death we deserve to die. He died a death that was for the, the faithless, the fragmented, the duplicitous, the betrayers, the haters, the violent sinners. He died in our place and for our sake, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring us to God. And on the third day, he rose again and sat down at the right hand of God in majesty on high, and he sent his spirit who would come and guard our spirits on the inside. He sent the spirit to make us whole again. Don't you see? He was broken that you might be healed. He was shattered that you and I might be mended. He was fragmented on the cross in order that we might become whole. He was our substitute in every way. And he says to you and me, come, come to me, return to me, and I will make you whole. But I need all of you, all of you, all the broken pieces, all your guilt, all your shame, all your brokenness, all your bitterness, all your hates and anger and lust and anxiety. I need all your self-loathing, all your betrayals, all your sin, 
and violence and faithlessness. Bring it all to me, and I will make you whole by my Spirit who will guard you and keep you because I am a husband who will never betray you. I am a covenant keeper who is faithful and true. I am the sacrifice that shouts louder than all your sins. I'm the one who gave up my spirit in order that you might have my spirit forever. And I am a savior who is more than enough for you. I gave my whole self to save you. Will you not give your whole self to me? I want your whole heart, not just a piece of it. Won't you give it all to me? Because you will never be whole until you are wholly mine. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Oh, Father, forgive us for playing games. Forgive us for honoring you with our lips while our hearts are far from you. Forgive us for the gaps between our Sunday and our Monday. Forgive us for this morning for our irritability, for our impatience. Father, our hearts are shot through with fragmented disintegrity. And Father, if it weren't for Jesus, there would be no hope for us. That's why we cling to the cross. We hold fast to grace. Because if you don't save us, no one will. And so, Father, would you take the broken pieces of who we are, all these shards and fragments, would you take our duplicity, our lack of integrity, would you take all of this sin and brokenness, would you do something amazing with it? Would you mend us and make us whole by the power of your Holy Spirit indwelling in us? We confess we are a long way from who we were meant to be. We thank you that Jesus' blood covers over all of our sin, that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just and will forgive us of our sin and all of our unrighteousness. You'll cleanse us of it all. And so, Father, we confess before you we cling to Jesus as our only hope, and we give you ourselves. We hold nothing back. Help us to walk by your Spirit and slowly but surely become whole again. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.